I think I've turned this on now. And uh, I want to take your picture, too. I'm a blogger. RudyRucker.com slash blog. So you'll, you'll, you'll see yourself tomorrow. Let's see. We'll, we'll do the, the... Did that blur? Be sure to get tucks here. Uh, okay. Uh, I'll zoom on that later. I'll meet you outside. You know, I better do flash. <laughs> All right, we better do flash. I hate flash. Okay. Now, uh, if I was logical, I would be reading you from the book that's coming out in June. But instead, I'm going to read you from the book that who knows when it's going to come out because I just started writing it. Uh, but uh, it's called Jim and the Flims, and uh, I don't know, it's inspired by a couple of things. Mostly I've written science fiction, and this time I thought I would like to go a little closer to surrealism and forget the scientific explanations, which sort of could be viewed as fantasy. I'm not sure if I'm going to have castles and dragons. I, I kind of hope I don't, I don't do that, but who knows? I may get be unable to stop myself. But, um, okay, so I'll just start it out here and uh, read you the first chapter. And the title of the book is Jim and the Flims. In the middle of the afternoon, I decided to stroll downtown to eat a cup of ice cream. I hadn't gotten around to having lunch yet, and there wasn't much in my fridge. I like to think that ice cream is a complete food, what with the sugar, the fat, the milk proteins, and the bits of fruit flavoring. My wife Lucy and I could have had an enjoyable debate about this, but she wasn't around anymore. It had been a year now since she'd died of cancer. I brought her home for the end, letting her fade at her own pace with a hospice nurse bringing painkillers. This is what Lucy wanted, but our only child, Jolie, had been furious at me for letting mom die. Reckless in our grief, Jolie and I had a terrible quarrel at the funeral, and now I didn't even know how to find her. She'd moved somewhere in Seattle and changed her cell phone and her email address. I kept expecting fresh contact information, but it never came. Lucy and Jolie had left me behind. All I had now was our old dog, Droog, a mongrel terrier. We were living in the same Santa Cruz granny cottage that my little family had inhabited for the last 20 years. Somehow we'd never gotten together the money to buy our own place. Lucy and I hadn't been big earners. I'd gotten a bachelor's degree in math, but I'd ended up working at the post office, and then I'd retired. Lucy had been a kindergarten teacher. When off duty, Lucy had never seemed particularly like a school teacher. She liked to dance, she joked about sex, and sometimes she'd smoke pot with me. Not that we partied all that much. A lot of the time, we just hung around our little pink cottage, being comfortable. Even more than the things Lucy said, I enjoyed the music of her voice. Talking to her had been like an opera duet, where the rich, vibrant tones matter as much as the specific words. I missed Lucy's voice and the way she'd smile at me with her eyes and her mouth. It was terrible to sleep in an empty bed. Doggy Droog would gladly have shared my bed, of course but I wasn't ready to sink quite that far into being an eccentric old loner. I still had some faint hopes of finding another woman. 
Not that I had any good prospects. A big problem with Santa Cruz is that so many of the people who live there are crazy. <laughs> they aren't bad off enough to be in the nuthouse, but they're crazy just the same. Take my landlady, Dina Simley. She lived in a biggish stucco house on Madroni Street with my granny cottage in her backyard facing the alley. Her husband, Dick, owned a luxury car dealership that was switching over to hybrids and electrics. Dick and Dina drove a pair of gas guzzler Jaguars that Dick hadn't been able to sell. Somehow Dick had made a profit by keeping these two cars. The guy always came out ahead. The reason I say Dina was crazy is that she liked to sit on her porch every afternoon waiting to see if any of the high school kids walking by happened to throw a cigarette butt or a gum wrapper on her front lawn. Dina was always sure that she was right. I was sick of Dina and sick of Santa Cruz. I felt like nothing interesting was ever going to happen to me again, but I couldn't get it together to pull up stakes and break free. I had a feeling that, without Lucy, everywhere I went would be just as blank and dull. On the afternoon I want to tell you about, I decided to go out for ice cream, and I'd finished rummaging around my house for my sandals, my keys, my wallet, my pocket camera, and Droog's leash. As I stepped onto my porch, I heard Dina yelling at someone, Excuse me! Excuse me, I think you dropped something. I had a sudden metal image of cutting her into tiny pieces with her electric hedge clippers and feeding the pieces to the seals off the pier at 3 a.m. Okay, I was crazy too. Aren't we all? At least I had a certain sense of irony. I knew, I knew to hold my toxic thoughts in quotes. But never mind about Dina. I needed ice cream now, the good stuff from Mahalo Gelato on Pacific Avenue. I headed off down the alley, Droog trotted out from under my porch and dogged my steps. My faithful hound. I'd leash him later. It was a perfect summer day, the 1st of July. The fog had burned off, the air was cool and salty, the faint roar of the surf floated in along with the barking of the voracious seals beneath the pier. To tell the truth, seals creep me out. I don't like the way their hind legs are flesh-bound within the blubber of their tapering rears. To me, they look like they're in bondage, inching their ungainly way across a dock. It was easy to imagine that a seal would eat human flesh. Dogs eat their owners all the time. That is, they eat friendless owners who die alone with their pets in locked-up homes. Maybe that was in the cards for me. A palm tree shuddered overhead, sending crisscross shadows dancing across the alley like switchblades. Smiling at my not-quite-serious thoughts about Dina and the seals, I imagined a soundtrack of dissonant axe-murderer music. I took a picture of the creepy shadows, then put a sneaky crouch into my gate, bending my fingers like claws. Droog sniffed one of my hands just to see if I was holding food, and he glanced up at me with his alert, hazel-brown eyes. Never mind, Droogie, I told him. I'm just playing. And with that, I forgot about Dina and switched over to a different head game, to wit, the Infinite Paths project I'd invented when I'd still been working as a mailman. My gimmick was that, with some thought, I could devise ever new patterns for traversing familiar routes without ever running out. My cottage on the alley behind Madroni Street lay some six blocks from Mahalo Gelato on Pacific Avenue, Basically, I had to go three blocks south and three blocks west. 
I had a knack for planning routes in my head, and I'd worked out that there were 20 distinct ways to make this trip, assuming that I took an efficient route without any detours. But who said that as a retiree strolling to town, I had to be completely efficient? I could open up more possibilities by occasionally walking the wrong way. Suppose, for instance, that I allowed a block of retrograde motion to the east and a compensatory block of extra motion to the west. According to my calculations, this gave me 35 times as many routes, yielding a glorious 700 possibilities. And if I added a jog to the north canceled by an extra block to the south, I could multiply my options by something like 50, coming up with better than 3,500 routes. And there was nothing to stop me from detouring for through three or even four blocks. Moreover, thanks to numerous alleys and footpaths, I had the option of splitting most Santa Cruz blocks in two, effectively doubling the size of my grid. So there were, in fact, millions of ways to get to the ice cream parlor from my cottage without going terrifically far out of the way. With a certain amount of luck and industry, I planned never to use the same route twice. Why? Well, to some extent, my Infinite Paths project was a math-educated mailman's hobby. But there's a deeper motive for what I was doing. I half believed the world around me to be a kind of maze. I had a persistent fantasy that if only I traveled along the right sequence of twists and turns, I might find my way out of my dull labyrinth. Today, feeling energetic, I decided to try for a really oddball path. Like a mail delivery bot with a program flaw, I trundled to and fro, backtracking some blocks and circling others, recrossing streets I'd already passed, and approaching familiar streets from unfamiliar directions. I was crafting a wonderfully unexpected route, and the accumulating turns were wrapping the world in a welcome glow of strangeness. And then, triumph. Only a few blocks from my home of 20 years, I arrived at a street I could hardly recognize at all. My years-long quest had reached fruition. Logically, this had to be Yucca Street, but there'd always been a vacant lot halfway down the block. And today that lot was filled with a dilapidated Victorian home that looked to have been there for 80 years, soft and dank as a decaying tooth. The Vic was dark green with patches touched up in streaks of yellow. Gutters hung loose, the windows had missing panes. Junky, overgrown eucalyptus trees crowded the free spaces of the yard. A primer-spotted van rested in the driveway, perhaps abandoned. Very strange. I got out my little camera and took a picture of the odd house. I had a hobby of keeping pictures on my crufty old home computer. I was thinking that maybe one of these days I'd print out my images and show them in a coffee shop, or maybe start posting them on the web. Naturally, my dog Droog veered down a narrow walkway beside the squalid home. As was his custom, he didn't look back at me for approval, lest I try to call him back. Nose to the ground, tail wagging, he made his move, and God help me, I followed him. The litter from the yuke trees crunched underfoot. Leaves, twigs, fragrant sheets of bark, and tough seed pods resembling oversized buttons. Close up, the mysterious house seemed almost organic, like a fungus that puffs up overnight or like a meaty jungle flower. The building was silent and, I hoped, deserted. Droog trotted forward uncowed. Intoxicated by my growing sense of wonder, I continued in his wake. I was telling myself that this passageway was probably a public right-of-way, 
But now, as we passed the rear of the house, our path became a mere sandy track along one edge of the funky Victorian's backyard. A dozen paces ahead lay the haven of a crossways alley. I paused and looked around, wanting to explore. The hind part of the house supported a deck of warped, shiny planks. A weathered engine of some kind rested in the corner. All the windows were dark and still. The yuke trees rustled and, the, and a low branch knocked against the house. I peered beneath the porch, wondering if there might be something interesting in the cellar. Instead of a regular basement door, the foundation wall had a recessed round opening, like the entrance to a tunnel, but closed off by an odd circular door with a spiral pattern. Quickly, I took a picture of it. The sandy soil sloped invitingly towards the entrance. I took a few steps closer and touched the door. It was slick and iridescent, like something on a high-tech vehicle. A dark violet band spiraled in from the edge, and looking closer, I saw that the band was patterned in a frieze of raised glyphs. Perhaps my overexcited mind was fooling me, but I seemed to see tulip bulbs, winged bats, flying jellyfish, tentacles that branched like trees, lightning bolts flying from a human head, a pair of lutes, and a castle with slender towers. Several yards behind me, Droog whined. I heard footsteps from upstairs. Someone was home. But I couldn't leave yet, for in the very center of the door I'd spotted, just, I'd just now spotted a depression in the precise shape of a human hand. I was filled by a sense that this door was meant for me. Quickly I set my right hand into the smooth cradle at its center, and yes, my hand was a perfect fit. The door shuddered twisted from side to side, and abruptly flopped towards me, flattening me onto my back. Fortunately, the ground was soft, and the door didn't weigh all that much. Even so, I found it hard to push the disc off me. It was as if something behind the door were pressing it onto me, as if I were a rat trapped by a janitor with a garbage can lid. I heard a slithering sound, and then the, ring and then the ringing of a footstep upon my door. Droog was barking, his voice low, hoarse, and frightened. I heard a woman's voice and then footsteps hurrying across the sandy backyard. Finally, the door's pressure upon me lightened and I scooted back into the sun. The woman who'd run off was nowhere to be seen. Peering into the basement, I saw massive folds of gray-green material. Was the cellar full of plastic? A sheaf of the stuff was attached to the back of the door, highlighted all over with glints from the sun. The plastic, if that's what it was, tensed like a muscle, dragging the door back towards the wall. Very weird. And now, just before the door again hid the taffy-like mass that filled the cellar, something came wriggling out from the goo. I thought I saw a flash of bright blue, but when I blinked my eyes, I saw a brown and tan sea lion bull. Droog was barking as hard as he could. As the door reseated itself tightly against the foundation wall, the seal humped up the little slope from the basement. Ignoring me for the moment, he wallowed into the middle of the backyard and snuffled the air, perhaps tracking the woman who'd emerged before him. Droog gave a despairing yelp and was gone, off around the corner of the alley at the back of the yard. Hey, yelled someone from the deck above, old man. He was a muscular guy with sun-darkened skin and green hair, some kind of scar crossed the top of his head. Two other grungy surf kids were out with him, a boy and a girl. 
They were just coming out from the house, alerted by Droog's noise. Who told you how to get here, asked the girl, leaning over the railing of the porch to stare at me. She had short cropped dark hair and her voice was a low purr. She looked intrigued. It occurred to me that these three kids had illegally brought home a seal from one of their sodden outings. But I wasn't going to ask them about it. Sorry to barge in, I called, keeping my voice light. I'm only trying to keep up with my dog. Tell your pet that I'm good people. It shamed me a little that, being a 60-year-old man, I couldn't properly stand up to these rude youngsters. That thing's not our pet, asshole, said the boy with the green hair. We've never seen him before. Did you just open our basement door? The seal was down in his belly again, flopping towards me, his blubber shaking in waves. There was something odd about his eyes. Seals didn't usually have golden eyes, did they? Droog, I called, my voice breaking. Protect me. <laughs> the girl laughed musically, and then she imitated my cry, even putting a break into her voice, as if she were sampling my sound. With an abrupt series of wriggles, the seal disappeared around the house and along the littered pathway that I'd used to get back here in the first place. Perhaps he was making a break for the sea. He left a few squirts of crap in his wake. Rather than waiting for further abuse, I took off across the backyard and down the alley, that, like Droog had done. I found him resting in a spot of sun on the sidewalk of Cedar Street. He gave me an innocent, unconcerned look. I stood there for a couple of minutes, catching my breath. What had just happened? I'd opened some kind of giant plastic door beneath the house. A woman had run away, a seal had emerged from the basement, three surf kids had yelled at me. None of it made sense. Not to mention the fact that, as of yesterday, the whip-to-shit green Victorian house hadn't been on Yucca Street at all. Nor had I ever seen this place during all the years that I'd been a mailman walking from door to door. I sighed and shook my head. I wanted to think I'd found a new level of reality beneath the workaday world, but maybe I was imagining things. I've always had a good imagination. Maybe I'd like hypnotize myself with my wandering around. I took out my camera and scrolled back. Yes, there was the house and there was that door. I'd been too freaked to get a picture of the seal. I wanted to go back down that alley and have another look at the crumbling green Vic with the three surf punks and the weird door in the basement, but not now. Santa Cruz looked normal from here, and I knew where I was. I wanted things to stay still for a few minutes, and I wanted my snack. Droog and I walked half a block down Cedar Street and cut down a side street onto Pacific Avenue, and here was Mahalo Gelato, my favorite ice cream parlor, a Hawaiian-themed place. I put the leash on my dog and tied him to a bicycle rack. The parlor was an airy place with soft steel guitar music playing. They had fully 40 flavors of gelato made with fresh cream and fruit every day. An unfamiliar clerk stood behind the counter. She was about my age, or maybe a few years younger, a tall woman with a goofy smile and curly blonde dyed hair and a messy ponytail. She was in the process of tying on her apron. I'm here because you invited me in, she said, and giggled. I started working here about one minute ago, after a two-minute interview. The manager, a younger woman, nodded at us from her seat by the register. You are right to sign on, I said, not wanting to understand what the new clerk was getting at. I'm a regular here, Jim Oster. We know Wesson, said the woman, miming a curtsy. I can hardly believe I made it to Fatland. Fatland? That's not what you want to call an ice cream store. 
you'll scare off the persons of weight. <laughs> that includes me. Oh, sorry. That's not what I mean. Where I come from, Fatland is what we call your whole world. But let's not get into that yet. She wrinkled her nose in a smile, or maybe she was sniffing at me across the counter. By now, of course, I'd realized that Weena might well be the unseen person who'd run out from that tunnel under the green Victorian. But she looked so much like a typically flaky Santa Cruz woman that I was able to keep this revelation at arm's length. And I was, after all, quite hungry. I'm here for a medium cup, I persisted, with a scoop of pineapple and a scoop of coconut. This ice cream is going to change your life, said the woman assuredly. Sell it, Weena, said the manager woman. You go, girl. For sure I need a change, I told Weena. I'm in a deep rut, deeper than the Grand Canyon. I decided to test her. Just now I thought I saw a ghost house with a magic tunnel and a mysterious seal. Some woman I didn't see came through the tunnel, too. Weena considered this, but didn't say anything. Moving awkwardly, she dug out two exceedingly large scoops for me, and then, with a quick gesture, she scattered sprinkles onto the ice cream, twinkling, colorful specks. I didn't quite see where she got the sprinkles from. Normally, I'm a purist when it comes to ice cream. That is, I don't like chunks of candy junking it up, and I don't like glop on top. Special for Jim Oster, said Weena, handing my serving across the counter. The way she was smiling, I wasn't going to bitch about the sprinkles. I paid the manager, then ate my gelato rapidly and greedily at one of the sidewalk tables outside the store. The memory of the door and the seal were already fading. The surf punks had just brought a seal home for a goof, that was all, and I'd built it up. The seal was probably back to the ocean by now. Why get all bent out of shape? The ice cream was great, and the sprinkles weren't bad either. They were very high quality, faceted like minuscule gems, and carrying the intense flavor accents of essential oils, identified cinnamon, spearmint, clove, violet, and bergamot. I was filled with well-being, in tune with the world. I watched the Santa Cruzans go trucking on by, bums, students, hipsters, bumpkins, and bossy bohemians. I felt as if I could empathize with each and every one of them, as if I could see bits of the ongoing thoughts in their minds. I considered going inside to talk with Weena some more, but now she was busy with more customers, and there was, after all, no huge rush to get to know her better. I came to this ice cream parlor nearly every day. As I got to my feet, I thought once more of the seal. I decided to try getting another look at the dark green Vic. Drug and I found the same alley we'd followed from the backyard of the house, but when we walked down this alley, we saw only a vacant lot where the surf punk's house had been. Wow. What do you think, Drugi? I asked, hunkering down beside him in the litter of the narrow eucalyptus leaves that filled the empty lot overgrown with dried brown weeds whose roots twisted around little chunks of rubble from a house that had been bulldozed years before. Where's the house? I felt close empathy with my old pal. He was, as usual, wondering if I had food. We took the most direct route back to my hospital and then I vegged out on my dusty goodwill couch reading a paperback novel. It was a peaceful summer afternoon with the golden sunlight lying across the house like heavy velvet. 
After a while, I began having the feeling that I could read the pages of the book without actually looking at them. But I was having trouble making sense of what I read. Thinking I needed a nap, I laid down my book and curled up on my side. I dropped off to sleep. The next thing I knew, I was lying on the living room floor, very confused. It was dark outside. I felt like I had been gone. I ached all over, and every muscle and joint. My tongue was bleeding. Something very bad was happening to me. I crawled across the room to where my cell phone sat with my keys. I didn't trust myself to walk. It took all my concentration to dial 911, and then everything went black again. I woke in a hospital room. It was still night. A nurse was standing over me, a woman with a calm, coppery face. She said I'd had two seizures. They weren't sure why. The doctors had scanned my brain and it looked normal. Maybe I'd be okay. They had me on an IV drip with painkillers and an anti-seizure drug. I needed to rest. I slept fitfully. In the morning I was able to think a little. I could hardly believe I was in the hospital. Yesterday I'd been fine, and then I'd had that odd experience with the abandoned house. Maybe that's when my brain had started screwing up. How terrible. I'd suddenly rushed to death's door and back. I hadn't seen any white light or spiral tunnel or dead relatives while I'd been out. None of that cool, trippy stuff. I'd been nowhere, and I'd seen nothing. It was like I'd had a couple of sequences snipped out of my life. Discouraging. I was in the hospital for three days, having tests and being observed. <coughs> On the second day, I asked a heavyset nurse to wheel me to the ward's walled patio. I wasn't supposed to walk yet. I sat there watching the clouds change shapes in the high summer sun. The leaves of a potted palm tree rocked chaotically in the gentle airs, with the fronds clearly outlined against the marbled heavens. It struck me in a deep kind of way that the world would keep right on running if I died. Somehow this seemed horrible. By the afternoon of the third day, they decided that my seizures could have been an isolated fluke. I could go home and taper off the anti-seizure drugs, and we'd see what happened next. I felt a little uneasy about going home alone, and I kept obsessively thinking about that strange scene at the crumbling green Victorian house. Right before it was time for me to go, the coppery nurse from the first day led a woman into my room. Your wife, said the nurse, her dark lips parting in a smile. For a crazy instant, I thought the nurse was bringing Lucy back to me. But no, my guest was a tall, well-formed woman with her curly blonde hair and a ponytail. A woman nearly my age. She looked familiar, but I couldn't quite. Weena Wesson, she said. She mimed eating ice cream with a spoon. Of course, the new clerk from Mahalo Gelato. How did you know I was here, I challenged Weena, suspicious and afraid. Be glad she came, Mr. Oster, the nurse said reprovingly. Your wife is going to take care of you. <laughs>